The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. This is about a movie about a couple of killers. Harry Callahan. And a homicidal maniac. The one with the badge is Harry. They called him Dirty Harry. And he kept inventing new ones. Don't pass out of him yet. No, 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 no. That was a pretty good pinch you made yesterday. The chief was pleased. He was, huh? Yeah, he really was. He wanted me to tell you, well done. I can tell you how deeply moved I am. How do you like that? I pass along a compliment? You could at least be a little bit polite. It might not even kill you to say thanks. <laughs> Much rather say thanks to a raise. Hey, Harry, check communications, something from Chicago. I've gotten it. I'm putting somebody with you. Well, you know what happens to the guys that I've worked with. Dietrich's still in the hospital with a bullet in his gut, and Fanducci's dead. Now, you're working with Gonzalez, or you're not working. Now, that's straight from the fifth floor. You got it? I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I've kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Doesn't it drive your wife crazy? Nope. Yeah, she got used to it. No, she never did, really. Well, what then? She's dead. Oh, please forgive me. She was driving home late one night and a drunk crossed the center line. There's no reason for it, really. I'm so sorry. It's okay. Look, I want you to tell Chico that I understand you know, him quitting. I think he's right. This is no life for you, too. Why do you stay in it, then? I don't know. I really don't. Send Inspector Callahan in. All right, let's have it. Let's have what? Your report. What have you been doing? 
Oh, well, for the past three quarters of an hour, I've been sitting on my ass in your outer office, waiting on you. Damn it all, Harry, that's the mayor you're talking to. Clint Eastwood. Detective Harry Callahan. You don't assign him. Stop! To murder cases. You just turn him loose. Hi guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. I'm your host, Dirty Jimbo, and I'm joined by... The ever-clean Kyle. Clean Kyle. <laughs> clean Kyle. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry. Um, Carol Hedges, the winner of our uh, grand prize t-shirt slash pick a movie slash come on the podcast if you choose to, chose Dirty Harry from the live event. So... Carol, hopefully do this uh, proud. The justice it deserves. Right. Criminal justice. um, Kyle, before we start, Uh you know it's coming. Questions? Oh, no. Questions. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think Clint Eastwood's best film is? Clint Eastwood's best film. That is a good question. You know, I'm going to... Mm. <laughs> you got me. You got a stern now. Yeah, I'm probably gonna go with Unforgiven. That might be my favorite of them all. I, you know, I was gonna say get, Unforgiven too. I get think. Morgan Freeman in there. Yeah, you know, and it's Clint Eastwood, and they just yeah, old man just about to get all the murder done. Well, what what's um, the um, oh, what's the western? Is it Hang 'Em High? Sounds like it, but I'm not certain. Um, where where he's sitting there in his poncho, and then he looks at the guy. The guy looks at him, and the cat looks at him. <laughs> I think that's a, I mean. Yes. You know, I better not say that. That was going to be a joke. Someone's going to take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I would have to say I'm forgiven. Um, I'm, I know Clint Eastwood did a lot of Westerns. I'm not a big Western fan. Mm-hmm. So, um, when there is one that I do like, I make sure to say I like it. So, yeah, I think Unforgiven is an excellent Western film. Yeah, they kind of like it kind of like a, you know, up upends the genre a little bit. It's like it's a, it's a it's a it's a Western film that has a lot of non-Western traits that make it more that make it more than it is. You know, right? They're more than some of the parts, anyways. And I really appreciate that film. Um, but yeah, that's my answer. So, all right, let's get into it. Here we got Dirty Harry released on December twenty first on nineteen seventy one. A basically a Christmas movie. You know, you think Santa, you think. Harry Callahan, Dirty Harry. You know, you think of 44 Magnum, Santa. And that's what the film is. Dirty Harry here. Directed by Don Siegel. Written by Harry and Jillian Fink for the screenplay and story. Um, Rita M. Fink for the screenplay. And Dean Reisner for the screenplay. Let's see here. And we also have cinematographer Bruce Surtees. And composer Lala Schiff, uh, Schiff, Schiffrin. Schiffrin. I, I'm sure I pronounced that perfectly right. Next up, we have the budget here. Um, Dirty Harry was made for just $4 million in 1971, which is the equivalent of about $29.3 million today. So pretty much a modestly budget film for the time. And for gross worldwide, it had 35.0, oh, uh, just under $36 million, actually. Just under $36 million, which would be the equivalent of about $263 million today. So huge earnings, huge return on investment for Dirty Harry. No wonder it went on to hit 
four more sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the whole thing. This was a long-running franchise before long-running franchises were all that common. You know, like like this and make maybe the Star Trek movies, I guess, at that point. You know, but um, that's about it there. So, um, brief synopsis here. Um, uh, San Francisco is being terrorized by a new serial killer calling himself the Scorpio Killer. And Dirty Harry, um, or, you know, Harry Callahan, is on the case along with his newest partner and inspector uh, to track down Scorpio and stop him using humiliation and cat and mouse type games against Callahan. Scorpio is put to the test with a cop with a dirty attitude. So, let's see here. We have the awards for Dirty Harry going forward here. We have 2019 where it was added to the Film Hall of Fame for the Online Film and Television Association. In 2012, it was added to the National Film Registry for the National Film Preservation Board. And and let's see here. In uh, 1972, it was nominated for Best Motion Picture for the Edgar Allan Poe Awards. And that's just the awards for Dirty Harry there. Runtime is 102 minutes long. Sound mix is a mono recording audio, so a simple one track. Color info, color film. Let's see here. And uh, moving forward here, we got the initial filming dates. It was filmed between April 20th and June 18th of 1971. Um, Filming dates are a little more significant here because it was actually filmed on site all around San Francisco. So like all the buildings, all those kind of places, like filmed in real world locations and not nearly as many sets as you'd commonly see in other films. Right. And and I think one of the uh, things that stuck out to me while watching this was that scene where he walks in. I I want to think it's the Hall of Justice where he's walking up the stairs. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just the architectural... Uh, of the building, yeah, and the, the high arches. I, I really like that scene. You really feel, yeah, you you feel San Francisco in the environment all mm-hmm. the time. You like, you, you, like, you, you really just, you know, you couldn't be done anywhere else for that time. It was really impressive. You know, it captures the the the, the atmosphere of the room. <laughs> okay, moving on here, we have my favorite part here. I'm going to do the cast of Dirty Harry. We of course have Clint Eastwood playing the titular Dirty Harry, also known as uh, for his real name being Harry Callahan. Clint Eastwood, of course, best known for such roles as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly in 1966, where I think he may reach his breakout of his career. That might be the movie I was thinking of earlier. Probably, probably for probably for his Grand Torino. Uh, yeah, his good bad, his good bad and the ugly role. And then we have Grand Torino in 2008, which I think a lot of uh, younger audiences might have uh, uh, understood and got to know him for. I think it was a really great role, great movie he had in as well. Probably be in my you know, easily top five Clint Eastwood movies. And then we have uh, both Jimbo and I's favorite um, Clint Eastwood film, Unforgiven, in 1992, an excellent Western film. Probably had that at the podcast list sometime as well. Okay, next up here we have um, Harry Gardino. Harry Gardino. Um, he was in the film Capone in 1975, um, Madigan in 1968, and Hells for Heroes in 1962. Then we have um, um, Rene Santoni. He was in the, uh, playing Chico. He was in the film Cobra in 1986, Bad Boys in 1983, and Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid in 1982. Next up, we have John Vernon playing The Mayor. He was in the film Savage Streets in 1984, Point Blank in 1967, and Animal House in 1978, which we just covered recently. Next up, we have Andrew Robinson playing the killer, um, the killer um, Scorpio, if you as Andy Robertson, and uh, oh, he yeah, as Andy Robertson in the credits, anyways, and uh, he was playing the, the the serial killer Scorpio. He was also in films such as uh, Charlie Verrick in 1973. Hellraiser in 1987, and Shoot to Kill in 1988. 
Next up, we have John Larch playing the saga, uh, playing the chief. <laughs> he was in such films such as The Saga of Hemp Brown in 1958, uh, Quantes in 1957, and The Killer is Loose in 1956. Then we have John Mention playing DiGiorgio. He was in the films The Way West in 1967, Bigfoot in 1970, and Chisholm in 1970 as well. Then we have Mae Mercer playing Mrs. Russell. Um, this is the only film Mae Mercer was in, but she was also a blues and jazz singer for most of her career. Then we have Ruth Carbert playing the bus driver. Um, she was in the films uh, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying in 1967, and she was also in the films Sister Act 1 and 2 in 1992 and 1993, respectively. Then we have Woodrow Parfey playing Mr. Joffe. He was in films um, The Outlaw Josie Wales and Stay Hungry. Um, then we have Joseph Sommer playing Rothko. He was in the film Strange Days in 1995, Witness in 1985, and The Other Guys in 2010. Then William Patterson plays the Bannerman. Um, he was in the films The Pacific Heights in 1990, At Long Last Love in 1975, and The Taming of a Shrew in 1976. Then we have James Nolan playing the liquor proprietor. <laughs> liquor proprietor. The barman. <laughs> you know, basically. Uh, well, the uh, liquor store guy. Liquor store clerk, you know. Um, he was in the film as, uh, Airport in 1970, Jinx in 1982, and All Night Long in 1981. And that is the cast of Dirty Harry. Jimbo, take away from me. What do you got? Well, Kyle, why don't you give us a quick synopsis? A quick synopsis? I did give a synopsis. I did. Did you? Yeah, I did. I talked about the Scorpio guy. And oh, okay. Thing. Yeah, Jimbo, I must have had a seven-second vacation there. Seven-second vacation. Yeah. Um, one thing about this movie I think we need to be upfront about is it is a R, R rating. Um, there is uh, several scenes of nudity, uh, a strip club scene, a uh, peeping Tom scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murder, violence. Well, yeah, we, we were getting there. But um, yeah. there is also... Um, Racism? Some, yes, I was going to say some language that uh, we do not condone on this podcast. Oh, certainly support, not. Certainly not. Uh, but it is in the movie. So uh, just be forewarned if you watch this, um, that some of that stuff does exist in this movie. This is a very dark and kind of cynical film overall. <laughs> right, yes. right. Um, I still I still appreciate what it is, but it's still, it's got a very dim view of the world. Right. It can, you know, I got a lot of the uh, uh, same... Feelings and reactions as I was watching this last night, as I did with um, In the Heat of the Night. Yeah. kind of had the yeah. same kind of uh, vibe to it, if you will. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a, a I, little I, bit different scenario, but... Yeah, certainly a different scenario, different kind of characters in different part of the world, but, like, same general, like, you know, this is a cop story, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, here we go. Uh, when Don oh, Siegel was hired as a direct the director, he was considering Audie Murphy... Uh, for the Scorpio Killer. Um, for those of you who do not know who Audie Murphy was, um, he was actually uh, a genuine war hero and a heroic heroic screen icon known for playing King Cut characters. Uh, he wanted him to play a psychopathic killer. Um, so uh, Seager, Siegel offered Murphy the role, actually, but uh, sadly, Murphy died in a plane crash on May 28, 1971, prior oh. to making his final decision. How tragic. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's really beneficial for actors to just kind of like play against type sometimes and kind of reveal new facets of how they perform and who they are as a person that are really kind of 
cool and fascinating. So it's uh, it's it's terribly tragic that we didn't get to see that performance or get his decision overall. Like, if he didn't want to do it, I understood. But like, if he wanted to do it, then like, it would have been kind of cool to see. Well, it's like it's like um, when you seen Robin Williams take that turn and do a one hour photo and what was it, Insomnia, where he played the bad guy, where mm-hmm. pretty much he's been playing the lovable, good feeling character his entire career, and you see him turn and do those evil characters. It just shows the range of talent that an actor has. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a, a, more, a, a broader and deeper appreciation for who they are as an actor and the roles they play. Right. Yeah. Uh, the opening sniper scenes were shot from atop San Francisco's Bank of America building located at 555 California Street. The sniper's target is a girl swimming in the pool on the roof of the then Holiday Inn Ch- in Chinatown. Located at 750 Kearney Street and since about 1995 renamed Hilton San Francisco Financial District. Um, After this movie was released, Andrew Robinson received several death threats and had to get an unlisted phone number. What's oh yeah they trained oh wow okay that's crazy yeah mm-hmm. uh, so I guess see that's when you know you're doing your job right if you, you know you guess that's like uh, Joffrey from Game of Thrones he still gets death threats and uh, oh, yeah, like at uh, conventions stuff. and stuff but you know what he played such an evil character yeah that such a morally he did his job you know what I mean yeah yeah so, it's always kind of like a good heel on a wrestling show or something like right. that when they really start getting death threats from like people like oh okay like oh come on. <laughs> Uh, Andrew Robinson, the Scorpio Killer, claims to have ad-libbed the line "Hubba hubba hubba pig," uh, explicative while taunting Harry on the phone. <laughs> uh, the director cameo Don Siegel. Um, he was the pedestrian walking past Harry's car when he and Chico returned to police headquarters. Oh, walking past the car. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if he was a guy who was almost ran over by him. Like, get out of the road. <laughs> Did you know what I was watching? I don't know what scene it was. Um, but there is there are several times when you're watching the movie and like just in the middle of the road there's a guy standing there just looking like yeah um, it was like you see cars turning but he's like just standing in the road I don't know what, I'll have to show you I, I think part of it was like showing is like like I feel like they want to convey this image like that that San Francisco is just a mess of people walking in aimlessly around no but he's just standing there he's like not crimes. even walking he's yeah. just standing there and I yeah. was like. Okay. So even weirder. It's like, why is this happening right now? And it's just, yeah, everything about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when Universal Pictures um, allowed its option on this movie and characters to lapse, Warner Brothers purchased the rights with a view to cast none other than legendary singer Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra was interested. However, he had broken his wrist during the filming of The Manchurian Candidate, and during contract negotiations, he found the large handgun too unwieldy. Additionally, his father had recently passed away, and Sinatra decided he wanted to do some lighter material. After Sinatra dropped out, Warner Brothers considered Marlon Brando for the role, legendary actor. Mm. Uh, We've covered several of his movies. But never officially approached him. Next, they offered it to none other than Steve McQueen, and then Paul Newman, both of whom turned it down. McQueen didn't want to do another cop movie after Bullet, and Newman felt the movie was too right-winged. Uh, Newman, however, suggested his good friend Clint Eastwood as a possible star. I think of those actors, the only one I really could have seen also doing the role probably was Marlon Brando. I think Steve McQueen. I don't know, man. We Steve McQueen just doesn't, doesn't like he, like he seems too clean cut to me. Paul Newman could have. Yeah, Paul Newman. I think Paul Newman probably could have too. Actually, yeah, Marlon Brando, <laughs> Paul Newman. I could see them trying to play that kind of that, that dirty kind of cop kind of look to it. Um, Steve McQueen, though, I think simply just because he came off a of bullet too, like he would have had some. 
tonal whiplash seen him play like kind of a straight face kind of cop in um, uh, Bullet, and then later on playing Dirty Harry would have like been very too off putting, I think. Uh, serial killer Scorpio was loosely based on the Zodiac killer um, who used to taunt police and media with notes about his crimes. It's a true crime story for those of you in the true crime podcast world. Um, it's one of the most popular. Uh, oh yeah, people that I still don't think they've ever caught the guy. Um, and one in which he threatened to hijack a school bus full of children. The role of Harry Callahan was loosely based on the real life detective David Toshi, who was the chief investigator on the Zodiac case. Hmm. Okay. Interesting story there. Um, as is well known, Clint Eastwood directed the scene with the suicide jumper. However, it is often claimed he directed the scene only because producer and director Don Siegel was ill. This is actually very inaccurate. Siegel was indeed ill and wasn't even on the set, but Eastwood had always been scheduled to direct that one scene due to the difficult logistics of getting the actors, director, cameraman, and soundman all together on top of a small ledge. In the shooting schedule, six nights had been set aside for the shooting of this scene. Eastwood told the studio he could shoot it in two nights. In the end, he shot the entire scene in only one night. Oh, wow. That's impressive work on a Clint Eastwood side there. It's like, I, 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 I get this done. Yeah. I'm a French filmmaker. I can get this thing done. So good for him. That's impressive work. Yep. After Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel came on board uh, the project, they hired uh, Dean Reisner to work on the script. In his first rewrite, the bank robbery scene ends with Harry not pointing the gun at the robber, but placing it against his own temple. He pulls the trigger, laughs, and walks away. Eastwood and Siegel both felt that this was too extreme, even for Harry Callahan. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, the bridge off which Callahan jumps, landing on the roof of a school bus in Larkspur, California, was torn down in August 2003 after being damaged by a truck two months earlier. Um, all the outdoor scenes were actually filmed in San Francisco, except for the bank robbery, which Dirty Harry foils when he first utters his immortal phrase, Do I feel lucky? Well... Do, do you, you punk? Yeah, yeah, do you punk? Uh, the scene was shot on a set. Uh, the original title of this movie was Dead Right. Here you go, Kyle. You ready? This yeah. is what I was laughing about earlier when I was going okay, to Okay, go for it. When Callahan is being run all over town by the Scorpio Killer, he passes a wall which bears the graffiti, Kyle. <laughs> the name of one of Clint Eastwood's son, Kyle Eastwood, now an internationally acclaimed jazz musician who was three years old at the time. Not Kyle from this podcast. Not Kyle from this podcast. Unfortunately, I tried. You claim it. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's my scene now. So, hey, you know, this was uh, decades before I was born. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but they knew. They knew. Uh. Eastwood knows. (laughs) A police department in the Philippines ordered a print of this movie to use as training. (laughs) It was training from the office. Kind of dark. (laughs) Uh, Oh, not to be a cop. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say uh, Dirty Harry's a dirty cop? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> he commits a lot of crimes. Huh? I mean, it's, it's, you know, I get it. in the world of this movie. In the world of this movie, yes, he's absolutely a great. Like he's a great cop who does all the terrible things to get the job done. In real life, those people aren't required. <laughs> <laughs> or are they? Or because that, the crime is that, running rampant these that days. That heavily depends on political leanings. My political <laughs> leanings tell me. Oh, God, no. We <laughs> don't need more Dirty Harrys in the world. We don't need more Punishers in the world. We need people that, like, actually follow the law while they're trying to bring justice to people. Well, you know what? If people would follow the law, we wouldn't need Dirty Harrys to begin with, right? I, I think a lot of people follow the law, Jim. <laughs> a lot of them don't, Kyle. Oh, uh, here we go. According to the original script, the phrase that Dirty Harry quotes during the bank robbery in his final confrontation with the Scorpio Killer was not the actual quote for the movie. The actual quote in the script was, this is from the script, not the movie. Well, 
Was it five or was it six? Regulation say five. Hammer down on an empty. Only not of all of us go by the book. What do you have to do is think about it. I mean, this is a forty-four Magnum. It'll turn your head into hash. Now, do you think I have fired five or six? And at five, do I keep a live one under the hammer? It's all up to you. Are you feeling lucky, punk? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I prefer the, uh, the live version better. <laughs> the movie's line, you've got to ask yourself one question, do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk, was about as the number 51 movie quotes by the American Film Institute out of 100. Uh, the Scorpio Killer's real name is never revealed throughout the entire movie, and in, even in the ending credits, he is simply listed as Killer. However, after this movie's release, a novelization gave his real name as Charles Davis. Ah, uh, explain some of the casting stuff I saw. Over. I saw a few things that said maybe Charles, but I didn't want to write that down just in case. Yeah. Um, Dirty Harry is the slang term for a photographer um, with a single lens reflex, and which is an SLR camera. The slang term for an SR, SLR camera is a forty-four Magnum. Ah, so it's, it works in two ways now. Right. But yeah. Uh, the movie's most famous line is often misquoted. A lot of people mistakenly quote the line as, Do you feel lucky, punk? Well, the actual line is, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do, Do I, feel I feel lucky? lucky? Yeah. Well, do you, yeah, punk? punk? Yeah. Uh, this was banned in Finland for over a year. Banned in Finland for over a year? Just, I guess they have the pure violence of it all? Yeah. Uh, such was the success of this movie that Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel found themselves invited to address police gatherings. <laughs> okay. Uh, when Frank Sinatra and uh, Irvin Kirshner were still attached to the project, James Kahn was under consideration for the role of the Scorpio Killer. That would have been a good one, too. Yeah, it would have been good for casting, sure. Uh, Andrew Robinson created a backstory for Scorpio, which involved him being drafted into the Vietnam War and seeing unspeakable horrors. When he returned home to the United States, he found himself a figure of hate and his war experiences, uh, combined with the people's treatments of soldiers, caused him to go insane. Oh, wow. Which. Really dark. Right. Even though he created that as a backstory, some of that probably... Maybe hits too close to home right. on some of those kind of stories. Right. Like, yeah. like, 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 if anything, like, you, like, that's a much harsher, that's a, that's a very hard story to tell right, you know, and get that right. And I feel like you need to respect, like, maybe I don't. Right. You know? uh, yeah. Yeah. We love our soldiers. Um, but that whole Vietnam thing... It's that's a whole other topic that we don't need to go into it's on this a, podcast. A big can of worms right there. Yeah. Um, the uh, this movie makes references to the then recent criminal courts trials of Escobedo versus Illinois and Miranda versus Arizona. Escobedo versus Illinois was a 1964 case which ruled that any statements made by a suspect without the presence of a legal counsel were inadmissible as evidence. Miranda versus Arizona was a 1966 case which ruled that a suspect had to be informed of his or her rights prior to interrogation. If he or she was not informed of his or her rights, the subsequent interrogation was deemed null and void, also known as the Miranda rights to this day. Uh, the Scorpio Killer, Andrew Robinson, wears a belt with a peace symbol buckle throughout this movie. According to the producer and director Don Siegel, it reminds us that no matter how vicious a person is, when he looks in the mirror, he is still blind to what he truly is. So I thought oh, that yeah. was very interesting, too. Um, all of the blanks for Harry's gun had to be made especially for this movie, as the standard five-in-one blanks used in most movies do not fit a Smith & Wesson 44 Magnum chamber. Oh, wow. That's a cool fact. Arnold Schwarzenegger, once again, and Robert Orwick cited the character of Harry Callahan as being one of the biggest influences on their careers. 
Schwarzenegger said watching this movie inspired him to seek out action roles while uh, with wisecracking heroes who were a law unto themselves. Eric based his portrayal of uh, Dan Tana in Vega, Vegas, I guess, with the money sign, on Clint Eastwood's performance in this movie, especially his tendency never to get any angry or raise his voice. You know, and he always walked with a purpose there. He was just always walking at the same speed. You know what I mean? Oh, Except yeah. when he had to run around town. Um, according to Eurek, when shooting the pilot, he was very consciously doing an impression of Eastwood having worked with him in Magnum Force. Uh, the Smith & Wesson 44 Magnum used in this movie is now owned by prop master and weapons specialist Bill Davis, who bought it off the production company several years before this movie became a uh, became popular. The revolver, revolver is still in use as part of his catalog. At around the 10-minute mark in the bank robbery scene, Harry enters a burger joint across the street from the bank. Around the corner from the burger joint, the viewer can see a movie theater marquee that pl- lists Play Misty for Me. Clint Eastwood starred in and directed that movie, which was the first theatrical movie directed by Clint Eastwood. I love <laughs> how they throw those great. little things in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the shoes that the Scorpio Killer wore were Corrin jump boots that are worn exclusively by Army paratroopers. Oh, wow. Okay, so yeah, it's weaving in a little backstory as implied. You yeah, know, like, so he's trying to weave it in, I guess. Yeah. Uh, in the opening scene, the camera pans over Market Street, and a bulldozer can be seen driving up Powell Street. This was due to the construction of the Powell Street uh, Bay Area Rapid Transit Station. Construction continued all throughout this movie shooting, so it was just added to the movie. Yeah, got to work around all that kind of stuff, like just like in San Francisco, just like in real life. You know, right. I drive construction every day too. I drive it to work every day too. Yeah. Uh, the movie's line—you've got to ask yourself one question: Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Was voted as the number fifty-one movie quote by AFI. However, if one reads Harry's lips, you can see that Clint Eastwood says "buck" rather than "punk." Punk was looped in post-production because the term "buck." is an offensive term for a male African-American, which that's something I just learned today and Kyle did too, and I was like, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those, like, like once again, like, like you're in the 70s, you're in, like, a deeper realization, like, like, casual racism of calling an African-American a buck for some reason. Like, like I, I I can't even find the explanation for her, how that became an offensive term or if it became, like, a usual term, like, like seemed like referring to an African American as boy when they're like an adult male or something like that, like those kind of things. Maybe too. like I don't really know, but still, like I'm happy they changed it. You know, because uh, actually making like a uh, making Dirty Harry a straight up racist would be bad. I think in this movie he's implied that he's a little bit intolerant. But it's well, like, no, he's, he hates like, everybody he, equally. Do you remember? To- yeah. Well, that's that's the joke. Yeah, that's a lie. Right. He doesn't hate everybody, um, but still, like he's not a he's a man of the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Lee Marvin turned down the lead role. Mm-hmm. Uh, contrary to some sources, John Wayne was never offered this role due to his age. He later starred in his own cop movies, McHugh and Brannigan. The short-lived Boston punk band Clover titled their 1995 debut album, Phil Lucky Punk. Uh, in the pool scene at the beginning of the movie, the pool scene on the rooftop is the same one as the Clark Griswold played while work at... Uh, while uh, played with Wally was at work at National Olympics Christmas Vacation. Oh, wow. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Small little world again. Yep. Yeah. Doris Day said in an interview in 1993 on Vicky, which took place in M. Day, uh, Mrs. Day's home on Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, said that Clint Eastwood was one of her neighbors. When asked what her favorite Clint Eastwood movie was, she replied, Dirty Harry. <laughs> Opal Winfrey visited Clint Eastwood in 1997. Oprah interviewed Eastwood's family, and she asked his mother, Ruth Wood, Ruth Wood who was then 88 at the time, what her favorite of her son's movies is, she replied, 
Dirty Harry. Oprah's reaction was, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, you watched that movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dirty Harry was used as the title of a song by the band Gorillaz in their album Demon Days from 2005. Mm-hmm. Usually one of the most popular songs out there. I still see it on TikTok all the time. Uh, in the opening, when the memorial wall with the names of the San Francisco Police Department officers killed in the line of duty is shown, the name Eric A. Zelms is shown. Zelms was one of two San Francisco Police Department officers who likely saw and possibly spoke to the infamous Zodiac Killer on the night of October 11, 1969, as they responded to the Zodiac Killer's uh, murder of a cab driver, Paul Stein, in the Presidio Heights area of San Francisco. As Zelms and his partner, Don Falk, uh, were driving towards the murder scene, they entered a lone Caucasian male walking away from the... Oh, sorry, they encountered a lone uh, Caucasian male walking away from the direction of the crime scene. Since the initial and erroneous police description of the murder suspect was a black male, Zelm and Falk led the police or uh, let the man proceed on his way. Later, when the police description of the murder suspect was corrected to a white male, there was much speculation that Zelms and Falk had encountered and possibly spoken to the actual Zodiac killer as he fled from the murder scene. Zelms was killed in the line of duty less than three months later on an unrelated investigation. Ah, jeez. Yeah. Oh, sure it was a killer. Crazy. Uh, the count the number of Volkswagen Beetles on the San Francisco roads. It's surely a nod to the movie Bullet. <laughs> There's a lot of Volkswagen Beetles. In there. Yeah. Uh, in the scene, car, popular car. Yep. In the scene where Scorpio uh, pays the guy two hundred dollars to beat him up is equal to about thirteen hundred dollars as of two thousand one or two thousand twenty one. He paid for seven hits plus one on the house, coming to twenty eight dollars um, in nineteen seventy one per strike, or one hundred eighty five dollars uh, strike in twenty twenty one. Wow, must be some hits. Um, yeah. For those of you that haven't seen this movie, it's uh, he basically uh, gets well, Callahan. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he's framing Callahan for beating him up because he's being followed, and yeah, he's he being... Callahan knows he's going to strike again. But mm-hmm. so he pays somebody to beat him up and then frame him. It's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty thoughtful scene. Uh, yeah, smart thoughtful, scene. <laughs> a smart scene, a well thought out scene. Yeah, right. As Callahan is walking into the Burger Inn before the bank robbery, you can see "Play Bitsy for Me" on the theater to the right of the movie theme uh, frame, which we said earlier. Uh, body count: There's seven. Four kills by the Scorpio Killer. Three by Harry, assuming the pair of armed robbers he shoots dies. Uh, in real life, Andrew Robinson is a pacifist who despises guns. In the early days of principal photography, Robinson would flinch violently every time he fired. Producer and director Don Siegel was forced to shut down production for a while and sent Robinson to a school to learn to fire a gun convincingly. However, he still blinks noticeably when he shoots. Robinson was also squeamish about filming the scene where he verbally and physically abuses several school children and the scene where he racially insults the man he play, he pays to beat him up. Yeah, they really do a great job of making him like as morally reprehensible as possible in every single scene possible. You know what? He did a really good job, man. When he was on oh. that school bus and he smacks that kid around, he's like, I yeah. want my mom. He's like, shut up and sing or I'm going to start killing you all. I was like, kill oh. your moms. I want to kill yeah. all your moms. I was like, oh, yeah. jeez. Stop. <laughs> Clint Eastwood performed all of his own stunts, including the stunt where he jumps onto the roof of the hijacked school bus from a bridge. His face is clearly visible throughout the shot. Uh, when Harry finally meets Sally, no, I'm kidding. Uh, when Harry finally meets Scorpio in Mount Davidson Park, Scorpio orders him to show his uh, his gun with his left hand. Harry pulls it from his holster, and Scorpio had libs line. My, that's a big one. This caused the crew to crack up, and the scene had to be reshot. But the line stayed in. <laughs> that's great. 
1972, a copycat crime took place in the state of Victoria, Australia, in which two men kidnapped a teacher and six pupils at gunpoint and demanded a $1 million ransom. Uh, the state government agreed to pay, but the children managed to escape, and the kidnappers were subsequently jailed. One of them was called Eastwood. Jeez. Oh, For the iconic final shot where Dirty Harry tosses away his badge, Don Siegel was dismayed to discover that they had only bought one badge to the location shoot, so Clint Eastwood had to throw it perfectly in just one take. Uh, before each of Harry's three uh, combative encounters with the Scorpio Killer, there is a cross or a reference to Christ. Number one, at the rooftop stakeout, the Jesus Saves Neon sign. Number two, at the park ransom location, the giant cement cross. Number three, at around one hour and 35 minutes, at the pivotal moment when Harry is spotted by his nemesis from the school bus, a cross extending up from the streetlight. Scorpio, Scorpio Killer even exclaims, Jesus! Additionally, in the scene where Harry confronts the Scorpio Killer on the field of uh, Kazar Stadium, in one of the close-ups, perpendicular lines painted on the football field resemble a cross in one of the close-up shots of the Scorpio Killer whimpering in fear and pain. Uh, that was a weird scene, too, when they turn on the lights and he's like just stepping on his leg. And then the, the way that, like, it almost looked like a drone. Drones weren't invented back then, yeah. but how the camera, you know, panned out, yeah. kind of got grainy. It was a pretty interesting shot. Uh, when the Scorpio Killer is running away from Callahan at the end of this movie, he spots a young boy sitting near a pond and grabs him as a hostage. The kid was played by Andrew Robinson's real-life stepson, Zach, uh, Stephen Zachs. Oh, wow. And step... Would you stop turning the microphone? Okay. Tone? You've already stickered it. It's got a scuff on it. I'm trying to wrap it oh, off. No. Thank you for acknowledging that during the live podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it alone, Kyle. I'm going to stab you with the Trying to clean it. <laughs> In September 1981, a case occurred in Germany under circumstances quite similar to the Barbara Jane Mackel case. A 10-year-old girl, Ursula Herman, was buried alive in a box fitted with ventilation, lighting, and sanitary systems to be held for ransom. The girl suffocated in her prison within 48 hours of her abduction because autumn leaves had clogged the ventilation duct. 27 years later, a couple was arrested and tried for kidnapping and murder on circumstantial evidence. According to the Daily Mail, the couple were inspired by the scene in which the Scorpio killer kidnapped a girl and placed her in an underground box. Jeez, that's awful. And last but not least, when Harry is getting his leg looked at being shot in the bank scene, he tells the doctor, don't not, or don't cut my pant leg because they cost way too much money at $29.50. He is not joking. As of 2021, pants bought in 1971 for that amount would cost over $200 today. $200 pair of pants. So, Kyle... Thoughts on Carol's Hedges pick of Dirty Harry? It's a film I enjoy a whole lot. <laughs> I think I think it's a it's a really good story. Just to have a you know uh, a guy who's miserable but also really good at his job, and that's the only thing that really matters to him at the end of the day. You know, and uh, those kind of like stories is uh, always relatable to a degree. <laughs> you know, in a sad way, um, but uh, it's. A very interesting movie. It said a lot of the, um, the you know, the yeah, good, bad, and ugly did too. But like this, the Dirty Harry um, series set a lot of the groundwork for Eastwood's entire career and for what a lot of actors base yourself on, like Schwarzenegger and other actors too, of how they wanted to play heroes or the um, the law unto themselves kind of characters that are really popular um, throughout the eighties and nineties as well. So overall, I think I appreciate its legacy in film history and I enjoy the film overall itself. It is a tough movie to watch because it is dark and cynical, and I think it uh has a dim look at the world that I don't agree with sometimes, but um, I do think it's an excellent movie. So I enjoyed it. I recommend it for all moviegoers eventually. Um, Jimbo, how do you feel about the film? Yeah, um, I've never been a really big uh, Clint Eastwood fan to begin with. Um, 
but I, I, I enjoy this movie. Um, as a matter of fact, I kind of want to watch the sequels now to see if they're just as good. Um, mm-hmm. Kyle's like, no, they're not. Probably um, not. Probably not. But, I, but I, to me, this this and there's a the um, Charles Bronson Death Wish, they kind of kind of have the same vibe for me. Yeah, um, I agree. Taking law into themselves, kind of being their you know yeah. vectors of justice and their own way of the look of the world. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get a little bit of vibe for this. I, I enjoyed this movie. It's been man, it's been years since I've seen this movie. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I've, I've watched it all. I'm, I've seen the iconic scenes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to actually sit down that I can remember and watch it, uh, I think this is the first time in a long time. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't, it was an easy plot to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the Scorpio guy, he's just, he's perfect. I mean, I could see him playing like the Joker, especially when he's on the bus. And, you know, he just, he goes from being nice, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your head off to the bus driver to turn around trying to be with the kids. And then he starts yelling at the kids and he goes yeah. back to being the nice guy. Um, and just to see him have himself get beat up, uh, you know what I mean? He would be an iconic Joker, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, Carol, for, for uh, mentioning this and wanting us to do this. I think it was uh, a good, great pick. Um, and made me appreciate Clint Eastwood a little bit more um, than what I've what I had hopes of before. You know? Anyways, right, yeah, yeah. Right, I think right. I think you can, yeah you watch this movie today and you can you can you can you can still see why it was popular in 1971. Right, you know that's what or 1972 was really when it got the the ball rolling of money. But still, you can you can appreciate why this movie was as popular as it was, and uh, you know that's uh, hard to do for a lot of movies. You know, especially right. you know 50 years later. So that's going to wrap up our uh, episode on Dirty Harry. Um, next week, we plan on covering The Crow uh, from our friend Siobhan, uh from New Zealand who left us that review and asked us to do it. So it's coming, buddy. Just hang one more week and you'll get it. New Zealand episode of The Crow coming yeah. out at you. So um, after that, Kyle and I need to discuss some other movies that we've talked about because there's some that we've had on our list for a while that just keeps getting pushed back back because... People keep requesting stuff, so yeah. um, they might have to like a, a random yeah. random number generator or something and come up with some stuff. So, yeah. um, well, uh, you can follow us on the uh, Tragedy Cinema Podcast uh, Facebook page. Um, if you would like to send us an email at the Tragedy Cinema Gmail um, I read all those. And uh, if you want to leave us a review, uh, you can leave us a review. We'll read them on air. Um, other than that, I mean, Kyle, how's the TikTok coming? You know, any day now, it's going to be right around the corner. You know, I just, uh, you know, how's, how's, how's everything all at once? Are you finally watching the movie yet? Uh, yeah, uh, well, actually, no. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because I can't be everywhere, anywhere all at once. So, um, but yeah, um, we're having a lot of fun. we got some other things planned in the future. Uh, uh, talking about uh, a meet and greet for me and Kyle to meet at a, a pizza place, maybe to support uh, Connor, uh, Connor's foundation. You guys can come out and meet us. Uh, just have some fun. Uh but I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut.